Welcome to Adventures of a Blonde Geisha. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adventures of a Blonde Geisha. My name is Lisa Wilkerson. Thank you for joining me for another episode. Um, today, as you can tell in the title, we're going to be talking about things summerish. Um, I obviously have spent many summers in Japan, um, and so I do have some of my favorite sights, smells, sounds that you know take me back to that time when I was growing up in Japan during the summers. And um, I think probably uh, just to give you a little taste, I think uh, one of them would be definitely grilled corn with soy sauce on it. Um, I don't know why, but so many festivals or matsuri and just so many places will always make this incredible corn on the cob where it's grilled and then they put soy sauce on it. It has this very, you know, distinct flavor. Um, and that just reminds me of summer for sure. Another thing that I loved and I still enjoy a lot now is kakigori or shaved ice. Now here, especially in the U.S., you know, they have various versions of that, including like the Taiwanese version of shaved ice, which is very different from the Japanese style shaved ice. I mean, in the one that you get in Japan, usually, first of all, has no, um, you know, uh, no cream or anything like that. Like it's just literally shaved ice. And then you put like a flavor. A lot of times it's strawberry or melon, um, and it's definitely another summer favorite of mine. Um, mugicha. Mugicha is something that you don't find very much here in the U.S. as well. But my mom used to make fresh mugicha all the time. That was kind of our summer drink. Mugicha is barley tea. Um, and so, you know, it always, there, there would always be a pitcher of mugicha in the refrigerator. And that's what we would drink, you know, over the summer. Um, as far as sounds, wind chimes, so many places that, I mean, we had one too. I know the, at least one um, where we would have these wind chimes that would be hanging outside. And every time the, you know, the summer breeze would blow, you would hear the chime. And um, and then of course the semi, which are cicadas and those, yes, that was a huge summer sound for me. So, um, and maybe some of the people that are, you know, listening to this podcast right now, I'm sure that you might have some of your favorite um, sights and smells and sounds from summer in Japan. Um, when I go to a lot of the anime conventions and um, you know, I have various panels that are very Japan centric. One of the questions that comes up is when's a great time to go to Japan? I'm planning a trip and I'm trying to figure out when to go. Now, I always tell them that if you're interested in getting the Matsuri or festival experience, I highly recommend going in summer because that's when a lot of the great festivals happen. Um, and two of my favorites that we'll cover in the podcast today is one, for sure, for sure, Tanabata. Tanabata is 
The official day is July 7th. However, there's quite a bit of wiggle room. There's some um, cities that will have it or towns that will have it a little bit earlier or later. Um, but when I was growing up in Sendai, you know, northern part of Japan, uh, Sendai actually has one of the biggest and most impressive Tanabata festivals in Japan. Um, Tanabata is also known as the Hoshimatsuri or the Star Festival. And the basically the story behind it is, according to legend, the Milky Way separated two deity lovers. And the only time that they were allowed to see each other was on the seventh day of the seventh month. Hence, Tanabata. Um, so, of course, you know, you get and, and you find... You know, like the Sendai has, Sendai has a huge Tanabata Matsuri, but you can find other much smaller ones in towns. Um, it's a festival that is celebrated all over Japan. Um, so you can get different versions of it, which I really enjoy as well. Um, but one of the things that they do always have is these very ornate, incredible streamer decorations that represent Tanabata Matsuri. Um, and then they also have these bamboo wish trees, right? Where basically the kids, adults, anyone, you take a little slip of paper and you write down your wish. And it can be anything. And then you tie it under the wish tree. Um, so that's another part of Tanabata. And then of course, with that also comes all the great food stalls that you get like yakisoba or, um, or, you know, the grilled corn, of course. Um, and then people show up in their summer kimono sometimes. And so it's always a lot of fun. And then you get a lot of, you know, like, um, dancing and celebrating. And um, one, another one of my favorite things is um, Kingyosuki, which is the, you know, the goldfish, digging of the goldfish, um, where you try to get a goldfish in like a paper, you know, it's like a paper net kind of thing. Um, and I rarely was able to get it. I always had a hard time. Um, but yes, yeah, so Tanabata is definitely one of my favorite festivals that I recommend to people. Another one would be the Obon Festival. And that, the official date for that is August 15th. However, very much uh, like Tanabata, it kind of has some wiggle room there. So, you know, sometimes people will have their Obon Matsuri a little bit before or a little bit after. But the Obon Festival is really the biggest festival in summer, I feel like. I mean, there are tons of huge festivals. Uh, don't get me wrong. But with Obon, Tokyo shuts down pretty much during that week of August 15th. So a lot of times when I'm working with clients here in the U.S. that are doing work with Japanese, I tell them, don't schedule meetings, don't schedule deadlines right before Obon because everything kind of shuts down, right? People it's people will go back to their hometowns. And um, this festival, Obon Festival, is a Buddhist festival that celebrates the spirits of their ancestors. So people will go back to their families, wherever their families are from, and they will celebrate their ancestors who have passed, right? So you will have, um, and just like Tanabata, 
There are really big, impressive festivals. And then there are the smaller ones that like a little town might have. But they're all a lot of fun. Um, you will find the Bong Odori, which is the dance that comes with, you know, where everyone gets in a big circle. And usually there are, you know, like several of them that are kind of leading the dance. They're dressed in the kimono and they have a fan that they're using for the dance. And um, it, it's a amazing dance. It's a lot of fun. And, you know, they'll always bring you in, you know, if you're standing watching them, then they'll be like, come on, come on, come on. You know, I have joined a Bonodori bon so many times and I always forget, you know, the steps and everything, but you learn it pretty quickly. But the Bonodori actually has a history of over 600 years. So it's a very well-respected um, dance and kind of fun fact, actually, um, in the 90s, there was a huge, I mean, this is like so different from what I'm talking about right now, but um, I thought it would be kind of an interesting thing to bring up as well, um, having to do with the bonodori. But in Japan, in the 90, 90s, techno and rave was a huge, huge, huge thing, right? And the it was really trendy to go to clubs um, there were tons of these really big clubs that would hold thousands, you know, of people. And basically the women would go up on what they call the tachidai, like these, um, I mean, like it was like, a like something to stand on. Right. So, um, they would stand up there and they would do this move, these moves and they would all do the same moves. Well, apparently a lot of the moves from those, and from Parapara as well, come from the influence of Bonodori from the dance. So Bonodori is not just influential with the Obon festival, but has also seeped into a lot of other interesting parts of pop culture, um, which I think is kind of fun and fascinating. But my favorite part of Obon is actually during the festival, um, in order to guide the spirits of the dead, families will hang lanterns in front of the home. Um, and then at the end of the festival, the final day, they release those lanterns into water, like a lake or a river, or um, and they will release them at the end of the festival. And so I always loved that image of all these lanterns in the water, you know, just floating. And it's just so peaceful. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's one of my favorite things anyway of Obon. Uh, but of course, also in Japan, you can't forget all the uh, Hanabi Taikai, which are, you know, fireworks festivals. And there's so many of them that go on throughout the summer and you know, the Japan knows how to do fireworks, man. They are, they do them up big. Um, you can find, you know, little versions of it as well, obviously. But then there are a lot of really big festivals where people will have parties and, you know, they'll sit and they'll watch kind of in a way similar to what we do in July 4th. Only, you know, we really only have the July 4th weekend as a you know, fireworks uh, time during the summer, but in Japan, it goes on a lot. So that's another really cool aspect of Japanese summer. Um, there's so many things, you know, that for me 
uh, personally really bring back those summer experiences and memories growing up as a kid in Japan. Um, but basically, what we would do as a family, there were two different versions of how I would spend my summer, right? And I think that a lot of kids that grew up in a situation similar to me have similar experiences where either we, as a family, go back to the U.S. And when we go back to the U.S., there are really two reasons that we go back. One is obviously go and connect with family um, because we're not able to really see family for, you know, we would go back maybe every two or three years, right? Um, and so a lot happens in two or three years. So it really is reconnecting with everyone, being reintroduced to everyone, especially when you're a kid, you just grow so quickly. Um, so it was always kind of awkward for me coming back to the States and, you know, seeing family because, it was like having to reintroduce yourself all over again, you know? I mean, it was great, don't get me wrong. Um, but it, it's just kind of funny how it would, you know, it was always this thing where it's like, oh, are you, you know, Bruce's daughter? Or, you know, and <laughs> just kind of having to, yeah, reintroduce yourself and, um, and reacquainting yourself with all your relatives that, you know, they've also, especially the kids, your cousins, right, have grown so much too. So sometimes you don't recognize them either. But um, so that was one thing, right? So reconnect with the family. Another thing is growing up as a tall American girl, I would never be able to find clothes or shoes in Japan. So we would have to basically shop for the whole upcoming school year. And so that was another thing that we had to do. So we had to buy lots of stuff for the upcoming school year. Um, shoes, clothes, you know, we'd stock up. Um, another fun fact though, sometimes during the spring break, uh, actually my family, we would take a really quick trip to Guam, which is not too far from Japan. Um, and then we get some stuff there. So there was another option, but when we went for the summer, usually it was for about two months, um, that we would spend in, you know, in the U S and for me, because a lot of my relatives were in West Virginia, so we would always go to West Virginia and we would stay there and, you know, just hang out. And it was always a lot of fun. The other option that we would do, though, is if we didn't go back to the States, then we would, I would do a lot of things like go to some of the pools that they have. Um, they have what's called Summerland, which is so much fun. It's basically a amusement park of all different kinds of pools, like a wave pool, um, like a circular, like tide pool. And I don't know, just all these fun, fun, fun things. Um, and then there was also Toshimayan, which was another summer, uh, a great time. But Toshimayan is actually a amusement park that had rides, but then also had a lot of pools. Um, unfortunately, Toshimayan just recently closed and is going to be the location for the new Harry Potter world in Tokyo. Another fun fact. Um, anyway, so that, you know, that's good. But 
kind of sad because I do have a lot of memories from Toshimayam where I would go with some of my school friends and we'd hang out there. Um, so I would do that in June and July. And then usually in August, um, as a family, we would head out to a part of Japan in Nagano, which is called Nojiri. And Nojiri to this day is probably one of my favorite places in the world. It's an absolutely beautiful, beautiful spot. Um, it's been around for a hundred years. Um, the, well, not Nojiri, but the area that I went to, which originally was called Gaijimura or foreign, foreign village really is what it was called. Now they have a name that they use, which is international village or Koksaimura. But it was a place where a lot of the missionaries and even those who weren't missionaries necessarily, but were somehow involved in that community and were, you know, um, foreigners that were living in Japan, they would come out during, and the season really goes on at the end. It starts at the end of July and goes through around the third week of August. And it's just an amazing community. It's built around this lake, Nojiri Lake. And there is a boathouse. There's a swimming area that is just for us. Um, there was also a hot dog stand and a church that had this library, tennis courts, golf. I, so, I mean, it's a lot like some of these movies, you know, that I will see, especially like the 80s and 90s movies, you'll see where they will go to the lake and um, this over the summer. It's very, very similar experience only in Japan, in the northern part of Japan. Um, and it's not too far, actually, from where the Nagano Olympics, Winter Olympics were held. Um, but it is some of my best experiences were at Lake Nojiri. Um, in fact, when my family first moved to Japan, when I was five, we went to Sendai. And when we got there, we were not there very long. And then we immediately drove to Nojiri. So my first summer spent in Nojiri, I was like five years old, right? Um, and I continued to go and a lot of my friends from school would go too. So, you know, you could connect with them. There were swimming lessons. There were dances for the teenagers, which is so much fun, right? Um, and then sometimes we would, and then they had competitions like um, for swimming. Um, they also had like Bible classes and um, musical, you know, where you try out for the summer musical. And if you get the part, then you have to do, you know, like the um, practice and everything. Uh, so there's just a lot going on. And it was a lot of fun for me as a kid and where we lived, the um, cabins that we lived in. Um, a lot of them when I was growing up had outhouses, right? So not necessary. I mean, very rustic and definitely not glamping for sure. Um, now I believe though, a lot of the cabins are more modern. So there's actually a bathroom or toilet inside the cabin. Um, but you know, the, it's still there, still going strong. And, I just remember as a kid, my mom and dad always wanted to leave really early in the morning to drive out there um, because it was like a seven or eight hour drive from where we were. And so we would get up at like four 
to leave at 4 a.m., you know, and we'd go in the car, everything would be packed in. Um, and then we get there and just right away, I was like, ah, oh, I love this so much. And, you know, you just get to, and in the boathouse, which is usually run by the kids, especially the, you know, like the teenagers, young adults, they would always be control controlling uh, the music. And it was through the boathouse that I learned about so many different albums and artists. I think that was the first place where I ever heard Alan Parsons project, Eye in the Sky. Um, it was such a Nojiti experience, right? Or even Howard Jones. I just recently went to see Howard Jones, but um, Howard Jones was definitely a big Nojiti album. Um, it was also where I first heard Michael Jackson off the wall. Um, so it was where I discovered a lot of music. There were also some classic songs that for whatever reason became no GD favorites like Rock Lobster, B-52s, rock, rock, you know, and then we all had this one dance that we would all do together and everything. It was just so much fun. I would also, of course, have summer crushes and, um, you know, and then uh, see people that I would hang out with, you know, we hang out on the dock and just chill and, you know, just have a really good time. So it was such a great experience. But um, yeah, NLA, Nojiti Lake Association continues to probably be one of my favorite things. And what was really great about it is the friendships that I made that have continued to um, stand the test of time. You know, they I continue to stay in touch with a lot of them. Um, and I've been back since um, as an adult, I've gone back by myself a couple times and still as magical as it was when I was a kid, you know. Um, so yeah, so Nojiri would be my favorite, I think, summer in Japan. And that's going to do it for me today, I guess. Um, just talking about summer experiences. I'm sure you guys probably have some as well. Um, please tell me about your summer experience and, you know, we'll continue to, uh, I might even do another episode dedicated to summer, bring in a guest or something. I think that would be a lot of fun. But anyway, I hope that you have a wonderful summertime. And thank you, as always, for supporting my podcast, for listening, and for supporting me. I really, really appreciate it. Um, and I look forward to our next time together. So this is Liesl signing off on Adventures of a Blonde Geisha. Take care. Have a wonderful, wonderful day wherever you are. Live for lots of love and lots of peace. Ciao. Bye-bye. <laughs>